First Samuel chapter 2, verses 27 down to 36 is the portion of scripture that we read. Eli is getting old. He's nearing eternity. He has been very slack and lacking in many of the things of God. But does God let him depart without a word? Is God silent to him in his old age, even though he's failed? No. God speaks to Eli. God always speaks to his people. God is good and gracious, and he speaks to his saints, even though sometimes he has to tell them hard things. God is a speaking God, and he still speaks today. He doesn't only speak to Eli, he also speaks to us today. And we're getting old, and we're drawing near to eternity as well, and we need to hear God's voice. So what I want to consider with you today is how God speaks to us. How God speaks to us. And in this large section of scripture, God is speaking to Eli, but how does he speak to Eli? Well, verse 27 tells us, There came a man of God unto Eli, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord. There's a new man now comes onto the scene. He's not named. We don't need to know his name. But we do need to know what he is. And the Holy Spirit says, he's a man of God. And this expression, a man of God, it is not to be interpreted by our modern understanding of it. Whenever we use this expression of a man of God or a woman of God, we usually mean a godly person, a God-fearing person, someone who is devout, someone who has the Lord in their life and they love the Lord and they live for the Lord. He's a man of God. Well, that's not the meaning of the word here. In the Bible, this expression, a man of God, this is code for a prophet whom God sends. It means a man who is channeled by God. A man who is sent by God, from God, with God's very word. A man whom the Holy Spirit is in, and is controlling to bring the infallible word of God. Tells him where to go. Tells him what to say. He's a prophet. And a prophet cannot cease from being a prophet. If he tries to run away, he ends up like Jonah. He has to deliver God's word And God makes sure he delivers it because he's a man of God. He's under the power of God. 
There's no getting away until he delivers that message. The expression first occurs concerning Moses. Moses, the man of God. You remember Psalm 90? It's called a prayer of Moses, the man of God. It's not an ordinary prayer. This is a prayer of Moses the prophet. This is an official prayer as a word from God. The man of God's prayer. Inspired. And thus it's in the the Psalter. And thus it's in the Bible. And this expression, man of God, is also used of other prophets. You remember the woman said to Elijah, whenever she had her child raised, she says, Now, by this I know, thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. I know it now. You're a man of God. You're a prophet. You have God's word. You remember how Peter says, there was no prophecy of scripture that came at, at any time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Men of God, prophets. God puts his word in their mouth and they have to deliver that. And this man is that. Samuel becomes that. That's why he's not named, because Samuel is, is the main prophet. It's going to be the story from Samuel and the prophets. It's going to begin with him. Samuel's a great prophet after Moses, so this man's not named. Samuel's going to be the main man. But he's only a child now. And he hasn't been called into the prophetic office yet. yet. That doesn't happen until chapter 3. But after that, he's called Samuel the man of God. So this man of God then is delivering God's word. What does he say? Well, he says what all prophets say and what all prophets have to say and they have no choice about it. Thus saith the Lord. That's what he says. He just delivers what we call the oracle of God, the word of God. The message runs from verse 27 to the end of verse 36. It's the longest speech in Samuel thus far. Even longer than Hannah's Thanksgiving psalm. And it's a very important word. At the entrance to the book of Samuel, there stands both of these oracles towering up. The oracle of Hannah in her Thanksgiving prayer and the oracle of the man of God against Eli and Eli's house. This is a great pillar at the entrance door of the book. And as you you look at this oracle, uh, just like Hannah's prayer, the, the speaker's loss doesn't speak about himself, doesn't use the pronouns in relation to himself, He is hidden and concealed in the word of God. He just delivers the word. He just says what God's mouth speaks. He goes into the background. He fades into the background. And the oracle, the living oracle comes to the fore. And that's the way it always is. Even in preaching, that's the way it should be. 
The preacher fades into the background. He ought to do so. And he ought to deliver the message in such a way as he's not promoting or highlighting himself or saying what he is or what he does or whatever happened in his life. No, he's in the business of bringing to the fore the word of God so that the word of God becomes the all, the prominent, the main. And this man fades. And when he's talking, it's obvious that it's not him who's speaking. It's the Lord. It's like the Lord wrote out the whole, the whole thing, the whole oracle, and just give it to him to read. It doesn't come like that. The Spirit of God is in him. He speaks the oracle of God, but it is as if God dictated it. Coming out of the prophet's mouth, but it's the Lord talking. Thus saith the Lord, and you'll see who the pronouns belong to. Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father? That's not the prophet. He wasn't even there when the Lord appeared unto the father's house. It's the Lord that appeared. And the Lord saying, did not I appear? So it's the word of God coming out of the mouth of the prophet. It's the words of the Lord. So God's mouth is the prominent thing in the oracle. It's the word of God. Holy men of God speak it. That is true, but they speak it as they were born along by the Holy Spirit. It's God's word. And that's very important. That's how God communicates his word. Why does he communicate this way, you may ask? Why does he not just appear to Eli himself and tell him? Like he appears to Samuel in chapter 3. Well, he appears to Samuel in chapter 3 because he's calling him to this office of being a man of God. Eli was never called to the office. He's not a prophet. But he gets spoken to by prophets, as we all do. That's how God works with men. He does not appear to every man as he appears to a prophet. He does not give visions to every man the way he gives visions to prophets. He does not give dreams to every man the way he gives dreams to prophets. He does not give oracles to every man the way he gives oracles to prophets. Only prophets, only men of God get the message direct. We don't. That's how God works. That's how God speaks by his prophets. That's the way God is chosen. And that's how we get scripture. Scripture is the writings of the prophets. Scripture is the oracles of God. Unto Israel and unto the church has been committed the greatest thing that we could ever have, the oracles of God. So we have the writings of the prophets. And that's how God speaks to us. Eli's a high priest, but he doesn't get a special visit for God himself. He doesn't get spoken directly by God himself. He's in the sanctuary. He goes into the holy place once a year, but God doesn't talk to him directly. He sends him a prophet. Now, why doesn't God talk to him directly? And why doesn't God talk to us directly? The answer is, we're not close to God. He can't speak to us directly like that. That text a mighty visitation of the Holy Spirit, which he doesn't grant to all his people. 
He does not speak to us like that. There's distance. And that is why we need the Bible. We can't hear him direct. But we hear his voice in the Bible. In the mouth of the prophets. That's how he communicates with us. That's how he speaks to us. You know really every one of us is like Eli. We all have Bibles. God has given you a Bible and that's a very wonderful thing. There came a man of God unto Eli. And that word that he brought is in the Bible. And that word is coming unto you and to me today. The same word. We're getting the same word in the Bible today because God is speaking to us as well as to Eli because if he just wanted to speak to Eli only, it wouldn't be in the Bible. But because he's not only speaking to Eli, he sees us standing behind Eli. Time is nothing to the Lord. It's all present before him. He sees us this morning hearing the very same oracle. And when it was delivered, God knew we would hear. And that's how God speaks to us, through his word. It's a real speaking. As much to us as to Eli. The time gap means nothing. It has always fascinated me what Abraham said to the rich man in hell. The rich man, he said, Abraham, you know, if Lazarus was raised, I mean, he just went to my brother's, if he just went to my, my father's house and told my brothers, they wouldn't come to this place, they'd believe. And you know what Abraham said? He said, they had Moses and the prophets. Do you see what he said? They have Moses. Not just his writings, and that's what he means, his writings. But that's not what Abraham says. Abraham doesn't say, they have the Torah. They have the Bible. They have the writings. Abraham didn't say that. Abraham said, they have Moses. And they have the prophets. As if they're living. Because their oracle is living. It's alive. It's continuing. Whenever Moses wrote, he wasn't only seeing Israel. That's all he was seeing Israel here in it. But God saw far more than that. God saw the Christian church hearing it. He gave us Moses too, as much as he gave Israel Moses. We have Moses and the prophets. That's how Abraham put it. Moses has come unto you. You rich man in hell, Moses has come into your house. You rich man in hell, all the prophets... Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, they've come into your house. If they don't hear them, Lazarus is going to do no good. Even should he be raised from the dead. You see, this man of God has come in here this morning too. That's what I'm saying. This oracle wasn't just for Eli. It's come in here. It's ended up in this pulpit. And you're hearing it this morning. The man of God has come to us too. You have this man of God as much as Eli had him. That's what I'm saying this morning. And that's how we should treat the Bible. God has sent us Moses. And when you read the Torah, when you read the Pentateuch, you should go into the scene, into the drama, and you should know God is personally talking to you as much as he is talking to any Jew 
in the wilderness at that particular time. It's true. It's a living word. It's up to date. The Bible is timeless as far as God has seen. He has seen everyone who he brings that oracle to. So God does speak to us. But he only speaks to us through his oracles, through the Bible. That he's given to us. And we have far more than the rich man's house had. He had Moses and the prophets in his house. But we also have Jesus Christ in our house. We have the Gospels. We have the New Testament. We have a far bigger Bible. We have the whole complete word of God in the house. They've come unto us. And God is speaking to us through that coming. And through those prophets and through Jesus Christ. Who has spoken the last word and closed the canon with the book of the Revelation. All of the Bible for our admonition. So what I'm saying then is, you have the prophets, you have this man of God, you have the Bible, you have the Holy Spirit accompanying this word to illuminate it. That's all you have, and that's enough. And that's how God speaks to us. That's how God speaks to us. It is written. Here it is in the word of God. Don't be expecting dreams. Don't be expecting visions. Don't be expecting wee words and a wee personal word in you yourself. You walk down the street as if God's going to talk to you. That's, that's not how it happens. You don't have your own wee personal oracle like some deist charismatic. You have the Bible. You have the oracles of God the complete canon of Holy Scripture. It's enough. So prophets are no more raised up like this. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake and time passed on to the fathers, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. This is the last stage. There's no more ages of prophets being raised up. Jesus Christ has uttered it in this last age. The, the great prophet, the final prophet. And we're built upon Jesus Christ and his apostles, the word of Christ. I've given to them the words that you give me, Father. I've passed them on. They have received them. They have believed them. And we must receive God's word, congregation. The whole Bible. And we must receive it as the very oracles of God. And we must expect that God will speak to us through the Bible. And he does. He truly does. And will and shall. So what I'm saying is that God will not speak to you, congregation, in a new oracle. Your preacher isn't going to rise up someday and say, I had this dream, it's God's word to you. I had this vision, you know, I got this flash from heaven and I got a word and it's nothing to do with the Bible, it's new. You're not going to hear anything like that. It's the business of ministers to make much of the oracles of God and to expound them with the illuminating grace that the Holy Spirit imparts to his servants. So every time we read the Bible, whether a book, whether a chapter, whether a paragraph, whether a verse, we read all in the context of where it is in the Bible, 
And we read it as those who believe in Christ, and Christ is the key to the interpretation of all the scriptures, even the Old Testament scriptures. And we always interpret it as God speaking to me. To me. To you. To us. This morning then you have this man of God. So you're in the story too. Because God sees you standing behind Eli. The thousands of years of time. But you're still standing behind him. God sees you too. You've something to learn from this oracle yourself. Something to take home from it. Let's come to its content. The message is fairly lengthy of course. Extending to. Ten verses, and we won't be able to look at all the verses or any of the words in any great detail. But I do think that it can be divided into three, and there are some lessons that we can draw, generally speaking, from from the oracle. This oracle, like the Bible, is first of all a word about the past, verses 27 to 28. Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father? Verse 28, did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel? He's bringing up the past. It's a word about the past. And then he brings up the present. Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at my offering? That's what's happening now. Them that honor me, I will honor. They that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. That's what's happening now. The Lord challenges us in the present. So it's about Eli's past, even before he was born. It's about Eli's present sin, the weakness, the unrighteousness in his life. And then it's also about the future, verse 31. Behold, the day has come. Verse 36, it shall come to pass. Verses 31 to 36 are all about the future. And even reaching to Christ himself, the anointed one. And this oracle is like a mini Bible, really. What is the Bible? It's prophecy. But I don't want you to think prophecy is just all about the future. Some people think that. Prophecy is just all about the future. It's not. All the Bible is prophecy. There's all scriptures given by inspiration of God. It's the prophecy of the prophets. Whatever they give. They didn't always give the future. They didn't always say the Lord's coming back again. They didn't always say you're going to the judgment day. It wasn't all about the prophetic, although it included that, but very often it was about the past and about the present. That's how the Bible deals with us. The Bible isn't all about the future. Most of it, a large part of it really, is about the past, the redemptive history in the past. We have to know the past to be saved and to go in and face the future. We can't have a Bible without the past. Without telling us about the past. We can't have a Bible without telling us about the cross. We can't have a Bible without telling us about the the resurrection of Christ. We can't have a Bible without telling us about all the prophecies of that before Christ. So we can be assured he is the true Christ. The true Savior who fulfills the past. The past prophecies. So a large part of the Bible is, is the past. Inspired history. Inspired history is true history, but whenever it is unscripturated, it is unscripturated in such a way as to make it unique. And history is very often prophetic. It's forecasting 
the last age in Christ and the new age to come. It's wonderful, the Bible. And the more you study it, even its history, you realize these are shadows, these are foreshadows. This is wonderful. The Spirit of the Lord has so painted the historic past as to set forth the future. And that's what's exciting about Samuel. Because there's foreshadowings here. There's something more than just Samuel, Saul and David. There's the true anointed being foreshadowed in them all. It's leading us to Christ. But it's mostly history, Samuel, isn't it? There are a few prophecies here and there about the anointed one coming and the priest who's going to be faithful in his house, which has now been fulfilled, of course, in Jesus Christ. But at the time of the writing of Samuel, it wasn't fulfilled. So there are a few wee prophecies here, but it's, it's nearly all history, the past. God talks to us about the past so much, and we have to learn from the past, and our faith grows out of the history. You see the prophet here, he builds on the Bible, doesn't he? That's another thing about the prophets. The prophets never come along and say, now this is not in the Bible, forget about the Bible, I'm going to tell you something new. That's not how the prophets work. The prophets always come to people assuming they already know the past revelation, they already know the Bible, they already know Torah, they already know Judges and Joshua. This man of God who comes to Eli, he's always quoting the Bible. And he assumes you know Moses, the writings of Moses, the Torah. He assumes you know all those people, all those stories and Judges and Joshua. That's all assumed. What does it say here? Did I plainly appear to you on the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Well, how did Eli know that? Well, how did I know you appeared to my father? How do I know you came to the people of God in Egypt and brought them out of Egypt? I know nothing about that. That's due to me. That's not how Eli responds. He already knows his Bible. He already knows that history. And the man of God is just pointing it out. Do you not remember that? Do you not know what the Lord did there? So he, he uses the Bible. The prophets always carried their Bible. The prophets studied the scriptures. The prophets knew the Bible inside out. The Bible that they possessed up to that point. And they always used that. And, and you have to remember that when you study Samuel. The prophets don't explain everything. They leave gaps because they assume you know your Bible. They'll say the wee key words, the wee key phrases, like seed, or serpent, or thorns, or dust. They'll say the wee key words, and then they'll know. You'll fly back to your previous knowledge of Scripture, and you'll know. You'll know what God is setting forth. You'll know what God is saying. And that's how we have to go through Samuel. The gaps that the prophets leave are the places that we have to go back to the Torah and to Judges and to Joshua to see what God is really saying to us in all the Bible that we have at that particular point. But we've been even advantage over the people of God in, in Samuel's day because we have the New Testament. And we can go forward as well from Samuel and fill in even greater gaps and come to a wonderful understanding of the mind of the Holy Spirit which surmounts time and is not limited by time we can come to a wonderful understanding of the mind of the Holy Spirit with all our knowledge of the whole Bible. And that's what makes the Bible so exciting to the Christian church. We have a complete canon. And we have the whole of biblical theology. And we can know what God is saying to us in all the scriptures. So 
they used the word of God. They built on the word of God. The prophets just made the Bible bigger and bigger and bigger until we come to the book of the Revelation and we have a marvelous Bible. It's so exciting. It really is. It's exciting to every preacher. And it's exciting to the congregation. It ought to be. But another thing about this oracle is it's personal. It's not just, you know, academic and history. No, I appeared to your father's house. Why do you kick against my sacrifices? He's not just giving them academic lecture, we talk, we Bible history. No, he brings it home. He makes it personal. Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice. Thy father's house. I'll cut off thine arm. Thou shalt see an enemy in my house, my habitation. It's all personal. It's for Eli personally. And that's how we are to take the word of God. We, we are to take it personally. And he speaks to us personally in these three areas about the past. Our past. About the past of the redemptive history. Christ and what Christ has done. He's died for your sins. He's risen for your justification. He intercedes at the right hand of God for you. We're to take it personally to our hearts. God speaks to our hearts personally in his word. And that's the thing about the Bible. And it's not that we be treated as, you know, we, we Bible lesson, you know, we academic, you know, history. It's, it's not that. It's a sword. It cuts. I tell you, it cut Eli. He felt it. It cuts deep. Because it must. It's personal. It's primarily a hammer. It makes an impact on us personally. The oracles of God are not intellectual lectures. They are personally transformative of the believer's life. And that's the way they ought to be preached. We should dread Bible studies that do not lead to application. And by, by that I mean that, that don't lead us to Christ. That don't lead us into his transforming grace personally in our own lives. We should dread that kind of Bible study. We want to be challenged by the present transformative grace of Christ in our own life and heart now. So the Bible should be driving us to Christ. It should be driving us to the fountain. It should be humbling us and driving us to our knees to seek God's mercy. It should be driving us to the wealth that is in Jesus Christ for us poor needy sinners. You see this comes to Eli to prepare him for death. It's a message of doom. God has finished with the sons. He's already determined to slay them. This isn't a word for Phineas or Hophni. They're mentioned in it, but their doom is sealed. God has nothing to say to them anymore. He doesn't send them a man of God, but Eli. He's God's true servant, and he's God's making him ready for eternity. God's humbling him. God's bringing him to the point where he will be ready to fall off his chair with a broken neck. 
He speaks to him through this man of God. He speaks to him when he makes Samuel a prophet. And the first message is a message for Eli. He loves Eli. He has a word for Eli. He speaks personally to Eli because he wants to humble and prepare Eli for the judgment. God speaks to us personally. And that's how we should take it, brethren or sisters. You know, we, we should never have this mind, oh, that's for him, that's for her. No. If it's only for him or for her, you ought to feel very sorry for yourself. God speaks to us personally. And so God indicts Eli. He, he convicts Eli. He reminds Eli of his privileges of the past. He brings them before him. He tells him of the privileges he enjoyed. He points out his sins. He warns him. He tells him what's going to happen to his house. He prepares him. Notice how God's word questions. The first three or four phrases are questions. Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes to be my priest? To offer upon mine altar? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire? Verse 29. Wherefore kick ye up my sacrifice and up mine offering? They're personal questions to him. God is speaking to him personally. Where are you Adam? That's how God comes. He questions us. He awakens us. He indicts us. He convicts us. And there's nothing like being questioned I can tell you. To be searched out and to be convicted. And to be ashamed. Made ashamed. And so he's, he's searching Eli. He's convicting Eli. And he's telling Eli of the judgment upon him. And upon his house. In order to lead him to Christ. And to prepare him for the great eternity. So congregation. The subject has been how God speaks to us. Through the Bible, through the Word of God, through the oracles. The application is very simple. Do you believe this? Do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Do you believe the Bible is God speaking to you? Are you assured that the only way He is going to communicate to you His will is through this book? Do you believe this? And do you take it personally? Do you think of the Bible in relation to your own heart, your own life? Does the Bible lead you to confession of your sins? Does the Bible lead you to take hold of Jesus Christ for your saviour, for your salvation? Does the Bible humble you? Does it humble me? Does it humble us together as a congregation? Does it make us aware of our responsibility to God? Our own personal relationship to Christ? And then following on from that, are you listening? Are you wanting a word from God? Do you want him to speak to you? And do you come and listen to the minister in order for God to speak to you? Do you give God your attention? Are you hearing God, as it were, in the Bible? As if it was a very oracle to yourself. You know, God sees you here in the Bible when he gives these oracles. That's what I'm trying to impress upon you. Are you letting God search you? Are you even saying, Lord, search me. 
Try my heart. Know my thoughts. See if there be a wicked way in me. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, search me. Speak to me. Have you stopped listening to other voices? Contrary to God's word. Have you stopped giving to notions, giving in to notions in your head that are not in the Bible? Have you stopped giving heed to the notions or things in your dreams? To the law, to the Torah, and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this oracle, it is because there's no light in them. Congregation, you have Moses and the prophets. You have the Gospels, you have the New Testament, you have this man of God that came unto Eli. You have the Son of God incarnate himself as prophet who has come unto us. That's all we're going to get. And we don't need anything more. Praise the Lord. We don't need anything more. We have enough in the word of God. So hear it then. Take it home personally. What good will it do you if you don't? If you just go home with a Bible lesson or a Bible story, what good will it do you? You must personally assimilate the Bible to yourself. Jeremiah said, Thy words were found, and I I did eat them. I assimilated them to myself. Before I even went out to preach to others, I assimilated them into myself. They became part of my being. And thy word was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. May you find it so too. May God's word that you hear week by week, may you devour it and eat it and assimilate it. May you find it to be always the joy and rejoicing of your heart. And may it always, as it is intended to do, lead you to Christ. Oh, it leads us to Jesus. They are there that testify of me, he says. The Bible is like that star that led the people from the distant east to the manger. And the Bible will always lead us personally to Christ. If we hear it, and if we make the journey in obedience to it. Let us hear God's word like this.